Welcome into Natchez Glen House Stories. If you've ever wondered, you know, it's sort of like your kids one day, where do awesome plants come from? Where, where, where do new plants come from? How do plants arrive to garden centers that you go to, or maybe even your own doorstep? We're about to get a lot of those answers to the universe. My friend Rick Watson from Perennial Farm is joining me. And, and Rick, I think I always like to start these conversations with sort of a, a base question here. How did you, before you were owner of Perennial Farm, Perennial Farm Marketplace, how'd you get into plants? Were you always a plant person? Did you grow up around plants? Did you, did you have the family sort of structure if someone was into it? Or did you, on your own, discover plants were going to be a passion for you? Yeah. Hi, Steve. Um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on your podcast. And um, yeah, to, to answer your, your question about how did I get started, you know, I, I guess I was kind of born into it. Um, you know, my dad and my grandfather started a garden center business, you know, not long after World War II. And, um, you know, so when I came along many years later, I kind of grew up in the business as a as a uh, teenager, I worked at my dad's garden center and, and kind of caught the plant bug, if you will. Um, and, you know, you know, you, you know, if you want to be in this business, you got to have the love of plants to start off with. That is, I, I think, one of the things people uh, sometimes don't get. You know, the nursery industry, you can speak to this as well, if not better than I can, Rick. It's it's sort of this interesting hybrid, right? It's got agriculture in it, but a lot of it's marketing and sales and new plants. And do you think sometimes when when you meet either other people uh, or new people to it that they're aware of like the history and the dedication and that passion for plants is sometimes what gets you through those early difficult days or the difficult days along the path of running a plant based business? Now, I, I think people who aren't in this Uh-oh. Oh, no. People. Okay, that, hold on one uh, sec. Hold on one sec, Rick. We just lost connection for a second. I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask you the same question. Let's pick up like nothing happened. Here we go. So do you think, Rick, that people that are either haven't been in the plant world or are new to it, that maybe they don't understand how through the good times and the bad times of it, even on the business side, having a passion for plants is, is so important if you're going to do this? No, I, I don't think they do. I, and there's no reason why they should, you know, running a, a, a nursery is, is to people who aren't in it is, is, you know, very foreign. You know, I would think a lot of people might have a, uh, some, sometimes a romantic view of how, what it's like to be in a nursery business, you know, Oh, I'm, you know, growing plants and flowers and, you know, uh, you know, we're having fun growing plants, which is true, but it's a whole lot more than that because, you know, plants have to be cared for, you know, 24 7 you know they you can't take a day off of not keeping them watered and things like that so it's it's a commitment the nursery that your family had what size was that and was that retail only or was it wholesale as well the the, um, the business that my father and my grandfather had was a uh retail only it was a garden center um but you know i came up in that era where there were no box stores, there were no Home Depots or anywhere else that had plants. So garden centers, that was it. Wow. So when you, do you work at that business? And then I know at some point you either include landscape design and architecture in what you do personally. Was that part of that business or did you branch out on your own to pursue that? You know, I, I, I started working, you know, when I was maybe 14, 15 years old at my dad's garden center out in the nursery and, uh, you know, caught the plant bug, if you want to call it that, and wound up going to the uh, University of Maryland and getting a degree in horticulture and then wanted to start and did start a landscape contracting business after that. So we were in, I was originally in a design build business. 
between the time I was in college, or actually even during the time I was in college, I also worked for a uh, a nurseryman that is in our area uh, that was very much of a plantsman. His name was Kurt Blumel. And he was a uh, European plantsman. And he really had a lot to do at the time. This is back in the late 70s, early 80s, with introducing or ornamental grasses to this country. So I learned a lot about growing plants working for him. Do you... Through your own experience with that, and it's one of the things mutual friend of ours, Dr. A and I talk about, that the nursery world has had some of these almost mentor-type relationships quite frequently, either maybe somebody like Alan who's an academic or someone else in the nursery trade or people that are very passionate collectors about it. Have you seen that? often throughout your career that you you find these people and just sometimes their their passion is, is really contagious for plants i have i've seen it i've seen it um you know from back when i first got started all, all the way through um i think it's a little harder to find now but it's still out there and uh, you know the, the 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 wonderful folks that work uh for us at the perennial farm you know they they've all come through learning if it wasn't from me but for somebody else in the industry do you said that you don't think it's as prevalent maybe now why do you think just less people in it is it become a little bit more commoditized over time how do you feel that's changed if it has yeah, I mean, I think that it's some of that. I think it's also, you know, you, you know, years ago, you know, the, the whole nursery industry was a little bit more of an art firm, art form, excuse me, where now it's, it's, it's definitely more of a business. Yeah, I, I think that's an awesome point for people. And I think for someone like yourself, it leads into the obvious question of, how is that balance? You know, we've we've talked before. Um, I've talked with a lot of people. We've got that balance between the economy. It's the art versus commerce argument that so many industries sometimes face where you want to have the newest, latest introductions or propagation techniques that are new or maybe experimental that you're playing with. But at the same time, you got to run a profitable business. And there are a lot of nurseries that had incredible plants, but they couldn't figure out the business side of it. Yep, and I, and and that I think more than anything else is a trick to being in 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 this business. Is you know when I was at college at the University of Maryland and got a degree in horticulture, I also was smart enough, I guess, at the time to take business classes too and and you know boy did they pay off you, you know especially today you know when i started in in the business there wasn't nearly the amount of rules and regulations and laws uh covering you know everything from employees to health care to benefits to things in the nursery business to environmental issues that are are prevalent today so it, it's harder today so when you started in landscape build and design did you start perennial farm as just a way to source your own material that you were doing for your your own work and installations not originally not originally um like i said i had the experience from you know working for my dad at a garden center and then you know, I had a lot of, got a lot of uh, firsthand experience working for, for uh, Kurt, who was very much a plantsman. And, you know, I started um, with a partner and I in the landscape design build industry. And we used in our, in our designs, uh, a lot of uh, perennials and ornamental, gra ornamental grasses, which were new. The ornamental grasses were pretty new at that time. What, what, what we found was, and this is back in the early 80s, is that in, the, in our area, there were, you know, the, the, what was available as far as perennials and grasses were mostly grown in quart pots. And we were looking for a bigger, more finished look to our jobs. So out of necessity, we started growing our own 
to have just for our own jobs. Uh, it just so happened that when we started doing that, you know, my dad who had the garden center was like, Hey, can, can we sell some of them? I'd like to sell some of those over at the garden center. And that's kind of how it started. It was, it was a bit of luck and, and timing as part of it. As you're doing that. So you're, you're still using it. When do you make the transition? Give me like a date timeline too, from going from your primary focus being landscape, build and install to switching over to nursery production full-time? Well, we were, uh, like I said, we were a landscape design build company first. And, you know, through a, a good part of the 80s, that was our focus. And, the um, you know, growing the perennials was probably the latter part of the 80s and certainly into the 90s. Um, and it got to the point where, you know, we, you know, my partner and I split up, split up the responsibilities, and he ran the landscape business through the through the 90s pretty much. And I I I grew the nursery part. And in uh, 1998, tra- tragically, my partner was killed in a motorcycle accident. And uh, at that point, we shut down the landscape side of the business and focused on just growing perennials and ornamental grasses. And around that time, what what size nursery is perennial farm in that late 90s, early 2000s period? Ooh, and, 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 what, and compared to today, I guess, uh, you know, it was, you know, you know, a, a fraction of what we are today. But, you know, that's where we had to start. Yeah. And was the focus at that point still on like, ornamental grasses or had you started to diversify what you were carrying at that point? Uh, I think in the, in the, in the, during the nineties and really even into the two thousands, you know, ornamental grasses were, were pretty much the rage and, and they were increasing in popularity every year. And, and to some extent, some varieties still are, um, so they were the new thing, and we definitely grew a lot more ornamental grasses, but we also grew a fairly large palette of uh, perennials, too. Mostly in one-gallon and two-gallon and some three-gallon sizes. So on the wholesale side of it, as the for those of you that don't know, there was a lot of work done on like native grasses coming out of Europe, uh, even like Adrian Bloom is somebody that I was a big fan of early on in my own plant fixation. And he was someone that started to talk about it some, I remember. Um, what was the reception of independent garden centers as your first, that's your primary crop that you have out there? Was it, was it easy? Did they get it? Was the popularity at such a point where people started to understand their Ornamental grasses is providing both texture and texture and structure throughout the growing season, and the attributes that made them interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, I, I go back to when I was 15 years old, grow, uh, working in the nursery at my dad's garden center, and he had a good sized garden center uh, outside of Baltimore. And at that time, I, uh, what I can remember about perennials were they were just in the early spring. And they were these bare root things in a bag or in a box. They weren't even potted plants at that time. Uh, that changed over the years dramatically. And 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 now perennials, ornamental grasses are are uh, you know a pretty major part of the garden center or nursery industry. I often wonder, and when you just talk to consumers, you know, not people that are in the industry, there was this switchover from like annuals as bedding plants to things like grasses and perennials. Do you think people have any idea that there was sort of this moment, like where you said they went from being shipped in as bare root, you know, grade one size plants to like, okay, this is a finished plant that I'm going to buy in an independent garden center? Yeah, I mean, I think that happened over time. I remember, again, when I was just a kid working in a garden center, the, the, you know, the, the plants that we got in, and I'm talking about shrubs now uh, at that time, th- they weren't even in plastic pots. At that time, they were actually in, you know, coffee cans pa- painted green. They hadn't even 
you know, the, the industry hadn't even gone to plastic pots at that time. So that was all, you know, you know, you know, plastic pots and, and, and growing plants in the, in that sense was all very new. So I, I think it happened over time. And, uh, you know, uh, is, I think marketing has helped that too. So we're in this like mid 2000s, early 2000s moment, right? We're, we're, we're growing perennial farm on the wholesale side of it. And this has come up frequently on the podcast, Rick, that so that U.S. housing market is going countrywide is giving people a lot of loans, Rick, for, for home construction. And there's, there's building all over the place. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment in 2008 where that stops and stops pretty abruptly and in a very negative way for the U.S. nursery business. How did you see that event and moment at Perennial Farm? How were you affected? Were you affected? How does that as the business owner at that moment strike you, if you can sort of put us in that headspace at that time? Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. I think that um, in 2008, when all that came down, a lot of industries suffered. Uh, In our industry, you know, we got hit pretty hard because, you know, we, you know, we're growing a live plant. We're growing a live product. We can't really just put it on the shelf and wait for times to get better. We, you know, we have to, we have to, we have to grow and sell this year's crop so that we can get ready to grow the next crop. You can't just keep it in the same container or condition whether it's in a container or even in the ground you know it's going to continue to grow so uh, a lot of a lot of uh nurseries in in uh, in the united states really suffered during that time they had to sell stuff cheap any um any uh nursery that was leveraged at all uh was you know in 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 dire straits of going out of business and i do know that during that time you know, we lost probably 20, I've heard numbers up to 26% of the whole industry in this country went away during that period of time. That's pretty big. Do you feel that your position is my introduction to the U.S. nursery horticulture world from a business perspective starts right there in 2009, right? Mm -hmm. So I see it from the almost aftermath, Rick, if you will, right? It's the, you're coming into the room after things got bad and it can feel a little bit daunting at times. Do you feel that geographically, uh, that was one of the things that for you, I, I, in watching the business and observing the business, it seems like it was a real strength for you. The relationships you had in that mid-Atlantic area in the Northeast Corridor, what do you think were some of the things that allowed you to navigate that period maybe better than some other nurseries did at that time? Um, customer relations, for sure. You know, you want to keep, in any business, you want to keep your customers and you keep them happy. We have promoted for a long time our, you know, uh, you know our, our ability to deliver to our customers when, it, you know, when they want it and where they want it you know, not when we can get it there. So we're, 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 we call ourselves a delivery specialist and we always have been. So I think that's helped too. Um, you know, as always, you know, growing and keeping new varieties on hand, that really helped during that time also. That thing that you just mentioned, um, and also the, of course, the the gorilla or elephant in the room when you talk about the nursery industry is, and you've grown, which is a great credit to you actually as a business owner, that as you've grown perennial farm at that same timeline, almost step for step has been the growth of big box stores, both Home Depot and Lowe's. And do you feel like those relationships and a commitment to logistics and shipping were something that gave you 
a way to compete with what was happening as Home Depot and Lowe's were continuing to have attrition effects on your independent garden center customers, that you could help them uh, stay a little bit more nimble, uh, stay a little bit more quick afoot in managing their own inventories? I would absolutely, but you know, we don't sell to box stores, number one. Uh, and, uh, and we don't feel like we need to, but independent garden centers at times do suffer, um, you know, when box stores are in their area, I think that independent garden centers have to differentiate themselves to stay ahead of, of box stores. Uh, I think, Quite frankly, I think box stores also, they actually can help our industry and independent garden centers in the sense that, you know, they have the marketing dollars, the independent box stores do, to get customers or get the public interested in plants. And, you know, the more gardeners we can have in this country, the better it's going to be for everybody. Now, there is a big issue, Rick. That is something that, you know, we, when we look over the last 30, 40 years, where do you see it? Do you think we have more passionate gardeners than we did 30, 40 years ago? Is it a different type of gardener in the last 10, 15 years? We've had people move into the veg space a little bit with grow your own, things like that. Where have you seen the, the customer, the end customer? change over this last like 30 year period mm, what i guess what i've seen um is that you know um customers that i think have bought plants our plants in the past have been more gardener types folks that you know maybe had a little more knowledge of what they were planting today millennials you know, partly because there's so many more things that are out there going on that, that, that millennials and young folks can do today. You know, they're not necessarily interested in spending quite as much time gardening, so to speak, but they want a really nice garden and they want a really nice landscape that hasn't changed. And I think that, you know, maybe for them, it's, it's, they look at it more like they want landscape art. They want it there. They want it nice looking, you know, maybe as, as maintenance free as they can get. Do you think at times, Alan and I have had this conversation on the podcast before, Rick, uh, that the, the nursery horticulture industry has not always done a good job of telling the story of plants and flowers and gardening as we should have? Uh, yeah, I would say, say that, that that's true, you know, and, and I think, you know, and in the case of Alan, I mean, he's the ultimate storyteller, <laughs> um, which is which is good and, and fun. And, you know, I, you know, Alan would always say to me, you know, give me the facts about a plant. I'll forget them. Tell me the story and I'll remember. And, and, I, and that is one of the things that I'm so happy about that I've actually seen in the last year or so being so active on social media and growing what I do here that I think we're, we're at a place where a lot of growers like yourself too are, are, are willing and ready to take steps forward to talking more directly to the audience and consumers and getting people excited about plants because as growers, nobody really gets to know them better than you do. You know, you're not growing one or two, you're growing thousands. So when you pick a plant to offer, it's one that you're putting significant risk into. So you got to be pretty confident in it when you get to that stage. How have you navigated that? You know, that's something that clearly at the size you're at now, it is uh, one of those balancing acts like we talked about earlier between commerce and art of new varieties and, and how do you decide, okay, this is a, a cultivar that I'm excited about. We saw it do well, and we're going to go a little bit more aggressive towards that versus one of the more older varieties that the market has seen a lot, but you know, this new one is something that you can be excited about. Yeah. Well, that, that's a, that's a very good point. And, you know, for what we do, it, it's and and it's always been this way. 
you know, growing plants as far as what varieties and how many to grow is as much an art as it is a science. And by that, I mean, you know, uh, you know, you know, the, 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 the customer, you know, is fickle. It doesn't, they don't always, you don't always know what they're going to like year in and year out. And you have to be, you know, prepared for, for, for that. I think, you know, we can use the history of what we've sold in the past to help us project forward, but that's not always a guarantee, you know, and then there's been, believe me, there's been more than one new plant that I've grown that has wound up being what I call a dog uh, and that it, people just didn't want it. Have you found since that 2008, nine sort of changeover that, because this is one of the things that maybe sometimes end gardeners aren't as familiar with that for you in your business, that there's a buyer at an independent garden center that, you know, has to say, yeah, that's something I want to bring in. Have you felt like those relationships have improved since that time in the relationships you have where you, you go to a buyer yourself or one of the sales team and you get them excited about a plant that you're excited about that you know will at least perform from a production standpoint and they're open to bringing that plant in and putting it on in order? Yes. If, it, if it's new and 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 as a grower, we have some history with growing it, and it's a new, better variety. Most of our customers, especially the garden centers, you know, they're willing to uh, to, if you want to call it experiment, but you know, they know that a new plant is 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 something people will buy generally. You know, especially in most cases in our industry, if it's a new plant, it's generally an improved variety over what was there before. Let's pick on something. So, you know, we see something like hellebores now, which have had a resurgence um, as far as varieties go. And you know, they're always popular, but now there's a lot of varieties on the market as opposed to 15 or 20 years ago. Those buyers at independent garden centers are really receptive. Are they as equally excited about some of these new things on the market as you or your team maybe you feel now? Yeah, and I think that's always been the case. You know, if 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 I go back to let's say back to the '80s, you know, the 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 first big sort of splurge that that I can recall was all these new different types of hostas that were out there. I mean, there was literally hundreds and hundreds of new different varieties of hostas, and that went on for a while, and then that sort of peaked um, as far as popularity was concerned, and the next thing was the uh, echinaceas, you know, echinaceas, oh, orange, uh, echinacea, orange meadow bright was the first orange echinacea on the market and, and, and people couldn't get enough of it. And, and of course that was a, a, a plant that was spiked in pro, uh, popularity because of all the new colors and varieties. And that still is popular, but that's kind of peaked also. Uh, the, uh, another one that, that came along uh, that, was along that same line was uh, the different heucheras or carbels and uh that you know they came you know out in so many different varieties and uh, all different colors and 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 uh, you know foliage colors and and blooming colors and that really was a big hit for a long time and and like you said i think the latest uh thing to get that way is 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 hellebores and and they're sort of today's really popular plant. How do you balance that? You know, we'll pick on hostas for a moment, right? There were some in substance, you know, there were, there were a lot of these that were out there as cultivars. How do you, do you ever feel that we go through this moment, like you mentioned, where there's like this uptick in popularity and attention and then almost like in fashion, you know, something goes from in to out that how do people look back at that? You know, is the consumer sometimes overwhelmed by the amount of varieties that all hit them at once? And then, uh, like in the UK, it's sort of interesting at the moment, right? Uh, conifers, because of Leyland Cypress, became like a four-letter word for a moment. And now I've even seen 
um, Fergus Garrett, a great Dixter, just did an article talking about conifers as like a resurgence for them, that there's these ebb and flows. Do you think the average at-home gardener is sometimes overwhelmed by how the plant cycle sort of hits them? Some are probably, some aren't. I mean, you know, it, it, Americans, you know, they like a lot of choices, you know. Um, they don't always know what to do with all those choices, but they like a lot of choices. And uh, I think that's something that we've benefited from because we have a lot of choices. That is one of the the absolute best things. Like, I like the um, the relationship that we've developed because I think as we're moving forward, into a bit of a different period here with Jeff Bezos ruling the world wreck that having choice is awesome for people. Like you mentioned, you know, it is this, how do we get people to see beyond there maybe just being that one vanilla flavor that they thought existed. And now suddenly there's Baskin Robbins in front of them. Um, how have you found the education part of that, that, that does that become a vital part of that conversation that when you do have that many choices of something to try to reach out through now, be it social media, through other partnerships to be able to get people to understand maybe the nuanced differences between some of these things? Uh, you know, I, I, I would agree that, you know, that you, you, the, the consumer needs to know about the differences. You know, the one thing that I have seen um, in, you know, the, the, the younger generation, the millennials, for instance, is, you know, they really do want to see, they want a lot of information on these plants, you know, uh, and, and the more information that you can get out there in their hands, uh, the more helpful that, you know, in general, I think the industry is. And, and we try to do uh, our share, if you will, to, to make sure that, that there's as much information as we can put out there about the plants we grow. It's one of the fascinating things I've mentioned to people, Rick, and I'll, I'll give you this one. I think this is probably the first time on the podcast I've mentioned it, but there is this guy on YouTube named Brian Barcheck. Okay. Now, at first you go, what the hell does this mean, Steve? Well, he sells and breeds rare snakes, like snakes I didn't even know existed, Rick. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. a, a what? Now, what's fascinating about it is he puts out this content and he's talking really detailed things. You know, he's talking about the genetic chromosomes of different plants and character attributes and, and he does it overall in like a fun, semi-entertaining way. But here's what's the most interesting part about it. He's got over 3 million subscribers on YouTube. And I think if you would have told somebody that 15 years ago, that there'll be a content format of a guy who talks a lot about genetics and snakes, and over 3 million people would have pushed a button that says, I'll watch something about that. It would have blown people's minds. No one would have believed you. And I think you're completely correct on that observation, that more content and more specifics for a particular group of people, if they can be brought to it in a semi-interesting, dynamic way, they like it. That's, what I think, what it turns out to be. Do you feel positive and about the future of plants considering some of that? Because the world of gardening and horticulture has an incredible story to tell, and I would argue maybe more exciting than weird snakes. How do you feel about that moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that our, uh, I think the industry, uh, nursery industry, the plant industry, if you want to call it that, is, I think, is in as good a spot now as it's ever been. I think there's a, uh, a there's a sort of a, a little bit of a different uh, appreciation for plants now. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's it hasn't been different for me, but I think it's different for people today. The, um, you know, uh, you know, when you talk about things uh, that plants can do solving environmental prod problems, issues, which are very hot today, you know, with native plants, with pollinator plants. I mean, you know, those things are, um, you know, are, um, are, are really, 
you know, um, hand, go hand in hand with what, with what we're doing, you know, um, you know, you know, there's a lot of industries out there that, that call themselves green industries. You know, you see it on TV all the time. You see it in the advertisements for different industries. You know, we're green. Well, you know, you know, the, the, the nursery industry industry, we were green before green was cool. Yeah. It, let's switch gears and stay on that same theme when we talk about plants, because I know this is a word. I'm going to, I'm going to, it's your responsibility to define this word for us, Rick. No pressure. Give me the word nativars. I know this is something that at first there was a, a push for just native plants for people that aren't aware. You know, these were plants that were native to that region of the United States or the world. But now the word nativar is something that people might run across in an independent garden center or on a website or on perennial farm marketplace even. Give us sort of the definition of what is a nativar for people. A nativar uh, is, a na is basically a native variety, okay? And it can be a native plant. It can be a native cultivar, okay, which is uh, a plant that is bred out of a, uh, a native plant. It's still a native plant. It's just a different cultivar. Um, and, and, you know, th there's a lot of, or some, I shouldn't say a lot, there's some back and forth about, you know, it, you know, it was, is this an original native plant? Meaning, you know, was it, was it here when the Mayflower came over? Or is it a native cultivar that's been cultivated out of a native plant and that's where that comes from. Do you think that as people have, you know, my belief with plants has always been, you know, how, however you come to it, I'm happy to have you, right? It's like if you come through that veggie patch, if you come through, uh, you know, maybe natives, however that is, do you feel that a lot of the people that get to us, be it through whichever those paths it might be, that it's important to start showing them? the amount of depth that exists in the plant world, you know, that maybe they come in with a little bit of a shallow view of it. And it's our job to sort of say, Hey, look at all these other things to keep that interest going. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great to have a lot of choices. What, what, what I traditionally have seen or I have seen is, you know, you want to, you know, if, if, if you're a new gardener, if you're a person who hasn't really grown plants before or had them in their garden or in their pot or whatever, you know, you want to, you want to be able to start off with some, some plants that you're going to have success with, because that's important. Okay. It's important that you have plants that you, that are not particularly difficult to grow that, you know, can, can, uh, can bloom without a lot of care that you can be successful with. Because if a, if a young gardener gets started with, with, with success, they're going to continue. If that gardener gets involved or starts growing some of the more difficult varieties to grow out there and doesn't have success, then there's a chance that gardener is going to give up. So I think it's important that, uh, you know, that with a gardener that they have a good starting point. Completely. Building that kind of confidence layer for people. Now, here is, I think, one of the most underappreciated things, if you're a home gardener, that you may not always think about that Rick has to deal with and everybody who has a large-scale nursery has to deal with. It's called the size of this country. The, the challenges for you in having to grow plants for all these really distinct climates and locales across the country. How have you navigated that over the years? You know, that clearly your customers over in New England have a very different climate, soil type than your customers do in the lower part of like the mid-Atlantic region. How have you navigated and how do you approach that in getting those plants to those areas? Well, I think, you know, we're, we're a regional grower for the most part. And, you know, so, for, you know, regional meaning, you know, for us from, you know, North Carolina up to Maine and out to Ohio, even though we do ship a little further than that, we don't really ship to California. 
which is a totally different, you know, uh, zone and area. So we, we kind of have over the years kind of stuck to the, stuck to the areas that, uh, and the plants that grow in those areas. For like, let's, let's like Dr. A and myself, right, Rick, we're in the hot Southern U S right. Are there plants that for you, you're surprised that maybe you don't see people in the like the warmer parts of the the region that you provide plants to growing that you think they should or are there just plants that you absolutely love for like hotter warmer parts of the united states like in this kind of mid-southy and over to the east like areas like north carolina that you mentioned yeah oh absolutely uh as a matter of fact i think that uh a lot of the newer varieties of plants, you know, some of them are very, can be much more heat tolerant, I think is, 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 uh, is, is a, uh, is, is what, how I would describe that, you know, some of the new varieties and, and even some of the old varieties of, you know, Coreopsis, the tick seeds, uh, and, uh, there's a new, a uh, couple new verbascums that we're growing and verbascum, which is a tough, tough plant traditionally has not done well in the heat. Uh, and some of these new varieties are much more heat tolerant. Do you see things like that? So when you have like a plant like verbascum, it may be in the past, like you said, it's one that has struggled a little bit with uh, showing good heat tolerance. But now some of these new varieties are popping up. How do you go about that? You know, is there any level of damage control? Do you just ask your customers to to trust what you've seen through trials or observations with people when you have maybe that plant that's had a, a mixed reputation in a region, but now there's a new cultivar that you have more confidence in? You know, with new cultivars, uh, whether it's heat tolerant or cold tolerant or anything else, you know, I, you know, I tend to, you know, uh, you know, look, to people that I know in the industry to start off with, to give me give me their thoughts on you know on on how that plant does for them, but there's still a certain amount of uh, you know trial and error in growing it that we have to do ourselves. So it, it's really a combination of things, um, and and you you know every year we're trialing many different types of plants. So something like phlox. Where do you see that? You know, that's sort of like the, it's a very classic, almost British cottage garden uh, perennial. Is it something that because of, you know, cut flowers, obviously the lane that I play in a lot are very popular now for a lot of people, you know, they want that Instagrammable moment, Rick, you know, where they hold the big bunch of flowers over their shoulder. Do you see that playing a role in a garden? Would you consider that one of those plants that you mentioned for a more experienced gardener or for like a newer gardener? Where do you see a plant like that fitting in in the mix of what you have? Well, flocks, uh, you know, you know, have been around a, a long, long time. And, you know, uh, there are just, just like all the other varieties that we grow, there's new varieties of them out there. Um, you know, the flocks, the, the, the paniculata types, uh, especially are, you know, wonderful cut flowers and, you know, the new varieties of the flocks paniculatas are much more mildew resistant and, and, and tend to be more compact and also bigger flowers. So, um, you know, the, the, they're, they're wonderful cut flowers. And attractive, you know, to butterflies and everything else. Do you think that that is one of the things that is you, you try to predict, as you said, that art of what's going to be interesting, what's going to work well on the market? How much is flower like be become part of it, right? You mentioned early on ornamental grasses. That's a, a structure uh, and texture component to gardening. Where do you see flowers in a 2020 way? You know, because it's, it's interesting, but, you know, sometimes it almost feels like it's not as important of a topic as maybe people would perceive occasionally. Well, in, in, a, in garden design, you know, the four main elements to remember are flower color, leaf textures, 
flowering height and flowering time. If you can keep those four in mind when you design a garden, that you'll do well. When you look over like Dr. A, Baptista guy, right? Where do you see mm. those today, right? There, there's been a tremendous amount of new cultivars on them, but they can be a plant that maybe in that first year in a garden is a little bit more stingy on flower for some of the varieties. When you, when you see something like that where people maybe need to be a little bit more patient with the plant to establish and mature, how do you communicate a plant like Baptisia to maybe a new gardener? Um, I think Baptisia, which is a great plant, which has, by the way, a lot of new varieties that are just spectacular. I think, you, you know, you need to tell the story of Baptisia. You know, and 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 that's a that's a story that Alan has told for years about how that plant has has come to be. In something, you know, it's another one actually. When uh, when we've gone through and I've looked over some different flowers for 2020, it's something that has struck me a couple of times. Asters, uh, old school plant at some level, but again. A lot of new varieties in there, um, along with sort of like geranium, they almost sort of strike me as similar in the way I've sort of seen them, at least in my own mind, Rick. Is aster something that you think is uh, a plant that has potential for people in gardeners, both new and old? There is a lot of different form uh, to them as far as both low and a little bit more shrubby forms as well. There is. I think the the thing to remember with asters is, you know, there's a number of native variety of asters, natives that, um, and native cultivars that have really become popular. Um, You know, the, the uh, aster diverticatus is a native, Um, the, the smooth asters like bluebird, um, the Nova Beligis, like um, uh, Blue Bayou is another one, October Skies. These are all natives, and they're great, you know, blooming, long-blooming fla- uh, flowering plants uh, that, uh, are, you know, are good pollinators, are attractive to butterflies, can be good cut flowers. Uh, they're pretty, pretty adaptive plants. Now, on the flip side of it, how do you feel about something like Aquilegia, something like that, that sometimes is a short flowering plant, Rick, you know, do you think those, you know, in the, the more inexperienced gardeners world, do those play a role or is that such a a short song sometimes from a plant like that, that it's more for like an experienced gardener that understands maybe where the performance of that plant is going to be? Well, Aquilegias are, you know, tough plants. Uh, that, you know, have a unique flower. And I think that's the beauty of that plant. Um, there's also some native varieties, um, Acolegia canadensis for one. And, um, but, you know, they, they, they kind of like it in the shade, but they're not hard to grow. They're, they're, they're easier to grow than people may think. Okay. Epimediums. I'm fascinated by them at the moment, Rick. It's one of my my 2019-2020 off-season plants that I'm really interested in. Where do you think they fit? It's another one. There's a lot of varieties out there suddenly. Um, what's your, your initial response over the years been to epimediums and maybe some of the newer varieties that are out there? Yeah, there's, you know, epimediums for, for us have been have been just like you say, one of those new varieties that have taken off and uh, are extremely pop positive, uh, popular, excuse me. And uh, more varieties coming out all the time. Uh, I, I like it, you know, I like it a lot. Baron Ward is a great plant, good shade plant, sort of a ground cover, if you will. And uh, is, is t- you know, once established, it's tough as nails. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think, you know, it fits, you know, uh, draw a dry shade situation for the most part. And, uh, you know, is a prolific grower and bloomer. Is it one of those 
plants, you know, obviously somebody with a landscape design background that trying to get people to learn how to garden along this successional planting kind of idea as far as flower power goes along with texture that it's a plant that almost has to be worked around, right? And it's sort of similar to Helleborus in that way that, you know, mm-hmm. you have to plan for what's next and then this goes and then that goes like a good, you know, concert kind of situation. Is that you think maybe if there's a, a learning curve with Epimedium that that's it, just learning that, okay, here's its flower time. Some varieties have bigger foliage than others and they also have great fall color, just getting people to learn where they fit in that garden setting as far as when they're doing their best performance at what time? Uh, you know, yeah, I would agree with that. I, it, uh, you know, Epimedium is one of those plants that, you know, it, 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 it needs its own place. It's, it's, I think one of the things that Epimedium does in a garden is it gives the garden a more natural look. Um, it's, you know, it just does. And, and if you're not, if you're looking for a more natural look, not a formal look and it's in the shade, it's, it's a great plant. Okay. Next one for you. And this is one that you already mentioned, but I wanted to just touch base on it because it is still out there in a foliage kind of way for people is all of the euchras that are out there. Is, Is there a couple that over the years that you've just been like, these are rock solid performers more than others. Um, and uh, heuchers, I mean, I love heuchers because of all the different colors that they come in. And yeah, I think there is, um, uh, you know, I, I like the, uh, the, the, the vol- velocity types, you know, um, you know, the heuchera caramel citronelle and, and those, you know, they're, they're pretty tough plants, but I, I like, some of the newer varieties too, you know, that have come out that are longer bloomers. I think that's something that people are probably starting to look for with euchras too, is, you know, how do I get a longer, longer blooming euchra? And to that end, euchra blondi is one that blooms an awful long time. And, you know, euchra pink revolution is another one that seems to bloom forever. Uh, so the, you know they're they're worth and very timeless is another one that blooms a long time, and they're they're new to the market. I've got to ask you a question because I do it every day and it's just on a small scale. Do you still walk the greenhouses frequently, just by yourself, just sort of walk and scan and look and and, and go through that observation? Do you find that time frequently to do that? I do. I do. You know, um, you know, my job, which has definitely changed over the years, uh, you know, when I first got into the business, it was because, you know, I, you know, was having fun growing plants, but then all those other things came along, you know, I had to sell them. I had to deliver them. I had to deal with, you know, all the em- employees and everything else, which is just part of any business. Um, you know, and I've sort of come full circle now where we're big enough where I have a sales team and an HR team and other people that do certain things. So I'm back actually doing what I originally wanted to do, which was growing the plants. So I'm out walking the greenhouses every day. Which is sort of awesome though, right? Like it really is like that. That's sort of, uh, I said this recently to people that the fun part is growing plants. Now the challenging part sometimes is selling plants. W- would you would you agree on that? Is is that sort of in, in sort of a, a retrospective kind of way? Do you think that's somewhat accurate for most people? For for people in general, I would say yes. I would say yes. You know, you have to you have to in like in any business, you have to build up, you know, your customer base and 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 what you do and and that takes time. Moving forward, do you see perennial farm? Are are you are you happy with it, Rick? This is a big question, right? This is a an existential exercise between the two of us. Are you know are you at a are you at a place where you go, man? I, I can take moments every now and then to be to be proud of your accomplishment and what you've done. You've navigated the business through you know sort of a a growth cycle. Then we've got that challenge in the late 2000s there. Are, 
are, are you, you happy or do you have those moments where at least you can be happy for a moment until the next fire needs to be put out? Yeah. Well, if, if you were to ask me how, how that I would be where I am today back when I started, I, I would say you were crazy. So I, I feel very fortunate uh, to, to have been able to, to do what, uh, I have done. And I think that, you know, whatever success I've had is in large part due to the people that work here. And, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thrilled for them, happy for them as much as I am anything. Let me ask you one question as we get ready to wrap up here that does occasionally concern me. Uh, I talked about it recently with uh, P. Allen Smith when P.A. and I were talking. One of the subjects that came up was there are some people in the, the nursery garden sector today, either be that through social media or YouTube, or just wherever they're creating content, but they don't seem to have a great reverence for the history of so many of the really great nursery people over the years. Do you see that yourself? If you do, does it concern you at all that maybe some of the people that are our voices in the plant world in this sort of 2020 world, they don't know these folks that maybe like a Dr. A even they're, they're just maybe not as knowledgeable as maybe the audience that's watching them thinks that they are. Yeah, I think there is some of that. I think that, that, uh, you know, some of the people that have been an important part of the industry, I think the public probably just is not aware of them. I, I don't think it's that they've overlooked them or anything or they're forgotten. I, you know, you know, the gentleman that I worked for who, who did a tremendous amount of, uh, of work in, in the field for, you know, the ornamental grass industry, as I said before, you know, it's not really, it wasn't really, I don't think, you know, a celebrity or well-known. Are there any other people that come to your mind, right? You know, or, or, cause I guess for me, it's one of the things I actually said to someone recently, they were asking me, um, I had a moment where someone said to me, are, um, are you concerned sometimes with the way people perceive you? And I said, no, uh, <laughs> I actually have a very short list of people that I'm really concerned from a plant perspective about their opinions on me. Um, and two of them actually happen to be Alan and then Michael Marriott from David Austin. And I have really good relationships with both of those people. And as I got into plants in uh, like 2005-ish, 15 years later, I call both of them friends. So it feels really good for me and those people's opinions I really value. Do you have people like that for you still to this day who like those are people that you really respect as mentors and their uh, opinions about what you about plants or even what you're doing really hold a lot of weight for you oh absolutely and 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 you know i would hope that a lot of people no matter what industry they're in would would have mentors because i think they're very you know very valuable people and you know as i said said before you know if for people who aren't in this industry uh, you know, uh, they, they don't, and and they don't really understand what all it takes and what this industry is about. You know, and and you know, not that they should. It's just it's a very different industry. You know, um, and and you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of hardworking people, a lot of challenges. Um, but you know, the challenge is part of the, for me, part of the love of it. You know, I, um, I, I, I think, uh, Dr. A had once said to me, you know, you know, gardening is a challenge. And the fact that it's a challenge is what's interesting. If, if it wasn't a challenge, it would be boring. Completely agree with that. There's this great picture at Hicks nursery on Long Island of uh, a large, I think it's Vegas Sylvatica, being taken off of a boat by horses, people. By horses, okay? Hicks Nursery. I've seen that. Yes, right? So do you think moving forward, that's something as an industry, 
maybe we need to story tell more. Maybe we need more people like me. I'm saying, Rick, do, do you feel like <laughs> we need to to do a better job maybe of talking about that history and talking about some of these figures, um, these mentors, these sort of luminaries within the industry? Do you think that's something that is a story that we definitely need to maybe tell more to the public to attach both person, plant, place, time, really give that generation that we already mentioned that wants to deep dive something to dive into. Yeah, oh, I th- I think that's a great way to get people interested and and you know that that you know if you know the history of the plant, you know you, you know something about the plant, you, you're going to be more interested in in growing it and taking care of it and you know the whole thing. So yes, absolutely. And and uh Dr. Alan Armitage does a great job of telling the story of plants because, you know, he, he's researched it and he knows it. Rick, I think we covered a lot of ground here. We covered your entire career of perennial <laughs> farm and we're just getting going. Um, it is a real pleasure for me because I, I said something uh, earlier uh, today, actually, to a smaller scale flower grower. That so many of the people, as you also mentioned, who work in the nursery industry have been such committed people. And as we started the conversation with, passionate about plants. So I wanted to thank you for your passion and what you do in getting incredible plants out into the hands of gardeners like myself all over the country. Well, thank you, Steve. Thank you for, you know, having me on and, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I hope this helps people have more fun growing plants. I walk the cross ties of these old abandoned rails. Wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life It's just like staring in your eyes And I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here All I know is nothing's felt so right So let me stay Feeling this way I never want to leave this state of Yeah.
For you.